feel of light coming to me. Show me what I need to see. Welcome to the Small Victories Podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria, an inspirational thought leader that offers transformational perspectives based on my unique experiences as a woman born without arms and legs. I feel like my life has been full of small victories that has led me to discover the greatness within. I believe that there is no summit upon which we reach our greatness. I believe it is a culmination of small victories achieved moment by moment when we turn toward the inward battle where we get to choose despair or hope, misery or miracles, defeat or victory. My goal is to awaken your potential, your purpose, and your power so that you can discover the greatness that lives within you. Think of this podcast as your weekly portion of tools, stories, and teachings that help you reflect on the small victories in your life. Thanks for tuning in and let's begin. Thanks for joining another episode of the Small Victories podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria. How does one go from homeless to doctor? One word, mindset. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Dr. Ty Belknap, who knows that overcoming his limiting beliefs was the key that moved him from a homeless, at-risk teen to getting his doctorate in strategic and life coaching and running his own online marketing company. Ty Belknap was homeless as a teenager. Then he became a beach bum surfer. From there, he founded his inner nerd, and started in the tech industry. By 25, he was a network engineer working at companies like Microsoft, Compaq, and HP. At 36, he left the corporate world and started a web design and online marketing company. Now with a doctor of strategic leadership and life coaching, Ty Belknap runs Port Bell SEO with four employees, none of which live within 4,000 miles of his office. Ty, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, Pauline. You're a great inspiration. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I love my podcast because I get to be inspired by amazing people (laughs) like yourself. So thank you for being on the podcast. I love, love, love talking about anything mindset. And so Mm -hmm. I am excited to delve into your story and pick it apart a little bit so that people can possibly see themselves in your story or see the parallels that exist for them so that they can move from where they are to where they want to be, which Mm -hmm. you did beautifully, but not without hardship, I am sure. So we're going to rewind and take you back to your (laughs) teen years. Those are always fun years for everybody. I would like to, you know, ask you to just Share with our audience a little bit about your journey as a at-risk teen and how you got to where you are now as owning an online marketing company as an entrepreneur. Well, it's kind of difficult to or complicated, I should say, to explain how. But yeah, when I was 15 years old, I found myself on the streets. And I'll tell you, living on the streets is very difficult. Living on the streets as a teenager is almost impossible. As many people have learned it through COVID, unfortunately, you know, when you live on the streets, it's, it's tough to find food. It's tough to find shelter. Back when I was living on the streets, you couldn't even stand in a food line if you were under 18. And even today, you can't go to a homeless shelter if you're under 18, unless your parents are with you. 
So if you're a homeless teenager, you have nowhere to stay at all. And so it is extremely difficult and it's a very predatory environment as well. So it was a, a tough period of time for me, but I was able to, to scramble my way out of that. And I did find my way to Hawaii where I call myself a beach bum surfer, but I actually, I was a dive master. I was working. I actually worked off of a 35 foot catamaran for a while. And if you were to compare living on the streets in the winter of Seattle to being in Hawaii on a 35 foot catamaran, I highly recommend the catamaran <laughs> much better, <laughs> much more fun. It, it literally was paradise. I, I learned quite a lot, not just about working and getting my work ethic down, but Hawaii is also a very spiritual place. So I started learning a little bit more about spirituality as well there. But one thing about Hawaii is that it is very much behind. Uh, now you're in Hawaii, right? I am. That's right. I remember that. And so, so technology-wise, Hawaii is a little bit behind the mainland. You don't get to see the newest, greatest stuff. And nope. back in the early 90s, it was even more difficult to to get the latest stuff. I actually had a computer then, but even the computer that I got there was pretty much a five-year-old computer on the mainland. So I decided to move back and I actually uh, kind of tripped my way. You, you say my beautiful change from being homeless to a doctorate. It wasn't beautiful at all. It was trips and <laughs> falls and everything else. It was, <laughs> I'm not sure how I did it <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> But I did trip my way into a sales job selling computers. And I never thought I'd be very good at sales. And the two years that I did that, I just proved that I was terrible at being a salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> but I did learn that I loved working on computers. And that's when I started getting into being a network engineer. And talking about mindset, even when I was doing all that, I still had the mindset of a street kid. I, I had a lot of very base fears. If you don't have fear living on the streets, you probably won't survive. And so everything you do on the streets is based off of, will this kill me? Will this not kill me? Will it hurt me? That's everything you think about. And doing that as a teenager, I had a lot to overcome as I grew up. And the very first time I worked at Microsoft, I'll never forget this. I applied for the job. There were like 15 questions on this questionnaire. And I knew for a fact that I got two of them wrong. I had no doubt, at least two of the questions wrong. It's only 15. So I'm thinking, you know, they're not even going to hire me. And about a half an hour after I fill out the questionnaire, they call me up to the front. I'm like, okay, they're going to tell me to go home. I mean, there's this room full of 50 people. I'm just one of these people. I get to the front and the lady says, were you looking to hire as a third level position? And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, you scored so well. <laughs> but I freaked out. I didn't think I was worth a third level position. And I almost ran away and just left. And I said, well, what does that mean? She goes, I'm just asking because we don't have any available. All we have is first level positions available. And I, I jumped on her. I said, yes, that's what I want because I didn't believe that I could do that advanced work, even though what they were telling me was that I had the knowledge to do it. I didn't have the mindset to do it. Mm. And so it took me quite a while to realize that, for lack of a better word, that I was as smart as I was, because I really didn't believe I was smart. I mean, what smart person lives on the streets? And that's part of that whole mindset stuff. Plus, if you live on the streets, you don't want to act smart because then people beat you up. And so that whole 
kid mindset took me a, quite a long time to overcome. I think that's such a great distinction that you made about just because you have knowledge mm-hmm. and you're intelligent on paper, unless you have the mindset that you identify as someone who can live into that and is worth being acknowledged and recognized and paid for that intelligence, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how good you are, what you do, or your skill set, or how much knowledge you have. It's all about how do you view yourself? You know, you're going back to that self-image thing. And it's so interesting how as an adult in his 20s, who's come so far from being a homeless at-risk teen, you still had that mindset. Okay, so you worked in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. And you have this doctorate in strategic leadership and life coaching. Okay, so now I'm like, wait, what? How does this work out? (laughs) That actually is a completely different story. This mindset, I still battle with it sometimes. I really do. There are times where something will happen and maybe I'll get a a large client and I will say, I'm not worth that. And I have to battle myself and say, well, of course I am. I know what I'm doing. It's a lot easier to do that battle now, but it still happens every once in a while. And in fact, I worked at Microsoft twice, actually. The second time I worked there, I was offered a promotion. (laughs) And in response for being offered the promotion, I quit because I literally didn't think I was worth the promotion. And that's when I started my own business. And the funny thing is my first year in business, this is the business I run now. So I've been running it for quite a long time. But my first year in business, almost to the dollar, I made 10% of what I made my last year at Microsoft. Wow. Because again, I didn't believe that I could be a successful business person. I, I had that bad mindset. Well, I realized two things. My second time at Microsoft, I realized that I didn't like working for other people. And so I wanted to work for myself. And then after that first year, I realized that I really had to make some serious changes if I wanted to work for myself. And a big part of that was mindset. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot in the way of coaching back then. If if I would have been able to get a coach back then, I think it would have been easier. I did it all on my own, which is very difficult. I do recommend for anybody that's struggling with this to, to get a good coach. I think that would help them quite a lot. But yeah, I really worked on that. But at the same time, I talked a bit about my spirituality and I've studied all sorts of things. I studied Zen. I've been a Buddhist. I actually did Celtic runes and even tarot cards for a while. And I've done so many different things, searching for answers. And one day my girlfriend and I had this big party the night before. And the next morning, God hit me over the head with a two by four. I call it a two by four covered in feathers because it didn't hurt, but it startled me awake. And I, I heard this loud as day, but it was like this whisper in my head. It said, you've learned everything about everything else. It's time to learn about me. Mm. And that's when I actually started going to church. Not very regularly. About a year later, he spoke to me again. He said, you need to be learning about me because you're going to need me soon. And that was about March or April, 2005, because the beginning of 2006, both my parents passed away within 10 days of each other. And I had actually reconciled with my parents at that point. My father actually apologized for abandoning me when I was a teen. We really were much closer than we ever were when I was a child. And so that was rough on me. But by that point, I was studying a lot about God. The reason why I bring that up is because my doctorate is actually from a seminary. Mm. 
And so that's how I got my doctorate in leadership and life coaching. The, the funny thing is I got my life coaching thing because during my master's degree, they suddenly offered this coaching class. And I read the description and I needed an elective and it seemed like an easy class to take. <laughs> Anyone who's been in college, I'm sure you've recognized that. You know, oh, this is going to be an easy one. I'll take that you know, for yeah. that elective. Mm-hmm. But I loved it so much because I realized how much coaching could have helped me when I was younger. And so that's why I started studying coaching so much. I actually have over 200 credit hours in learning how to be a coach at this point. And I do coaching for homeless teens myself now because I want other people to not have to go through all the struggles I went through to be able to get out of that mindset. Wow. As you were saying, that gave me goosebumps because I think many people can hear the whisper and and it's clear as day in their head, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's also a whisper. They don't pay attention. And so for you to pay attention to that and take such a hard turn and follow the promptings is huge. And it leads you to do what you do today. So I understand that there may not be homeless teens listening to this right now. There may be. Yeah. You're a homeless teen. Listen up. If you're not, listen up. Because I think a lot of this limiting belief of I'm not worthy is universal for a lot of human beings. And it can manifest itself in very drastic ways, like becoming homeless. And it can manifest itself in not so drastic ways, like sabotaging yourself over and over Mm -hmm. again for success. So as coach Dr. Ty, what are some things that you have recognized in your own life and the people that you work with in terms of not being worthy and mm-hmm. how to work through that. You know, Paul, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I actually, this was probably about 10 years ago now, but I found myself in a conference room by mistake with a group of fortune 500 CEOs. And we we were talking and I don't even know how it came up, but I talked about how I was homeless as a teenager and and the mindset behind that. And there were three of them, three Fortune 500 CEOs that later on contacted me and said, I've always felt the same way. I still feel that today. Wow. The Fortune 500 CEO that doesn't even believe that he's worth the job that he has. And to me, that was amazing because these are, these are people you see, they're so successful, but they don't feel successful. And that actually helped me out quite a lot because it made me realize that it really doesn't matter the situation that you're in. You can decide how successful you want to feel at any time. You, you can be homeless and still feel successful. Maybe feeling successful is just helping another person do something that day or give them a leg up or help them with whatever it might be. Maybe being successful might be just taking one step closer to where you want to be. Success to me isn't a destination anymore. It's part of the pathway to that destination. And where's the destination? Well, for me, the destination is heaven. (laughs) Yes, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So there are several reasons why someone might embody that I'm not worthy belief. Mm -hmm. They adopt it as part of their identity. And as you have illustrated, 
It can be someone who's homeless and feel not worthy. And it could be someone who's a CEO of a Fortune 500 who has on the outside everything all together. So this I'm not worthy belief, you had to overcome it. Yeah. How did you work through that? And I want you to share from a place of like other people are listening, you know, and they feel this so that your story is actually helping them also move through that Mm -hmm. limiting belief of I'm not worthy. Yeah. Take a real hard look at your life, but a positive hard look. Think about all the positive things that are going on in your life right now. And one of the things that helped me, and I talk about this with with my teens as well, is when these limited beliefs start coming up and you start feeling that I'm not worth this and you start getting that emptiness in the pit of your stomach, stop yourself right then and there and you tell yourself, that's the old me, the new me, insert something, whatever the positive part is, because you're thinking about the negative of something. And I use the example of there are many people out there that will sit and think about a conversation that they need to have with someone and they play it in their head over and over and it's always negative and it ends in a fight and everybody's yelling and screaming or the negative thing happens because of it. Then when the conversation actually happens, it happens exactly like you pictured it in your head. Repicture that in your head as a positive conversation, as you smiling while you're talking to the person and them smiling back at you and responding in a positive way while you're doing the conversation. The more that you picture the positive things in your mind, the more that mindset will go away because there's nothing that we can do about the things that happen to us, but there's everything that we can do about how we respond to them. That's really good. So something I believe in and promote is visualizing what you want so you can live into that. And if you have to think about how something is going to go, whether it be a a positive outcome or a negative outcome, you might as well focus on the positive. And, And that's not denying any sort of hurt feelings you might have or upset or frustration but it is creating a picture in your mind that is more favorable. So if the frustrations are still there, if the upset is still there and possibly that upset is creating this, I'm not worthy belief, right? That's possible. And I'm not talking about if somebody has actually abused the person or something like that. That's completely different. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about maybe talking with a coworker or a boss, or maybe you had an argument with your friend. And to me, another one is, especially with arguments, when you know that you still have to talk with the person, another great thing to do is to tell them, and I love this one, this was taught to me, tell them, I'm sorry for my part of what went on. And that way you're accepting responsibility for what you did, but you're not letting them off for what they did. (laughs) You're giving them the opportunity to meet you halfway really more than anything. One of the things about limiting self-beliefs that I've found, and this isn't everybody, but it's been a, a fair number of people, is they hold things in. They hold things in and they think about them and they internalize it without ever expressing it. The more you can express that in a positive way, or at least trying with a positive outcome, saying like, I'm sorry for my part of it, or something like that, the more you let that out, the more you release that limiting self-belief. I've seen that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I know that part of overcoming limiting beliefs is looking for evidence, right? Yeah. Is there evidence that this is true, that I'm not worthy? So an at-risk homeless teen might say, yeah, there's tons of evidence that I'm not yeah. worthy. I'm yeah, exactly. Off yeah. the streets, even my own parents didn't want me. If someone says, yeah, there is lots of evidence that this belief that I have mm. is true, what is something that they can do to overcome that besides the looking for evidence because that's actually working against them that is a tough one for me it it was coming back to jesus and coming back to god and i'm not trying to preach to anybody so my apologies to anyone who doesn't share the same belief as i do but god created me and for a long time i really hated god because i thought why would god allow this to happen Until I realized one of the first things that God taught me was it wasn't God that made it happen. It was people. But in order for me to grow, I had to forgive them. That didn't mean that I gave them permission to keep doing what they were doing, but forgiving it just kind of, it lets it go from inside of me. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. When I forgive people, I give it to God because God can do a whole lot more to punish people than I can. (laughs) not that i want that from anybody you know now i even pray for my enemies if someone hurts me in some way i I pray for god to bless them because if god's going to bless them then they're going to see what they did wrong and that's going to convict them so i I realized that, that god created me for a purpose far greater than what i was living but it was my choice to live the way that i wanted i could embrace that purpose and whether you believe universe or Krishna or whatever it might be, there's always that purpose there. And so you can either embrace that purpose or you can not. It's completely up to you. But to me, embracing that purpose helped me to realize that I am special to God. It doesn't matter what any people think of me anymore. And even my limiting beliefs don't really matter that much anymore because I know that God is standing right behind me and he's egging me on. He's like, come on, let's do this. You can do it. I know you can do it. God believes in me. And if God believes in me, how could I not believe in myself? Mm. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> Just full circle. When you mentioned, how do you have a constructive criticism with someone you're in a fight with and you still have to talk with, you know, mm-hmm. conflict resolution and starting out with, sorry for my part in this that's probably also a good thing to heal your relationship with God or creator or higher power, however you want to refer to it. I refer to him as God and, you know, sorry for my part in this. Yeah. You know, that he didn't do it to me. Even for me being born without arms and legs, I went through my own suffering and upset with God. like, well, why did you do this to me? Because he created me in the womb, you know, but understanding and surrendering with the knowledge that there was a greater purpose for it, that, and usually our purpose is not about us. It's about others. It's for the sake and service of others. Right. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Allowed me to surrender, which ended the suffering. Yeah. So it's that, release and surrender does not mean give up. It just means trusting the process and allowing whatever was supposed to happen through me and with me, 
is happening for the highest good of all people. Yeah. And, and, and you never know. I don't even think I told hardly anybody about me being homeless as a teen until I was probably 30 or 35 years old. Yeah. Uh, girlfriends, even my best friends, I don't think I ever mentioned it to anybody. And now I'm much more open about it because I feel that if what I say can help somebody else, then it's worth the pain of talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and hopefully as you see it working for a purpose at yeah. that hard time, then hopefully that takes the sting and the pain out of sharing it with people because yeah. it sounds like you've healed that wound. Yeah, I did. I actually, the, the very first time I broke down and did it, I did it in front of a group of at-risk teens. And I, I think I spoke for 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got off the, the stage as quickly as I could. And I sat down and at the end of it, there was a kid who was maybe 13 or 14 years old, came up to me and said, I'm so glad that you did that. It, it gives me hope. Mm. And that was the day to me that, that, had, that I'm so glad for the kid, but he has no idea how much hope that gave me by being able to share my story and, and knowing that it will help other people. That's so beautiful. That makes my heart <laughs> full. <laughs> Thank you, Ty, for coming on the podcast. Is there anything that I didn't ask you or have give you space to say that you'd like to say before we close the interview? I can't think of it, but I, I do have to say you're an inspiration. Just everything that you do and everything you try to do and, and getting the people on here. I, I really appreciate it, Pauline. Mm, thank you, Ty. I appreciate you. And I appreciate everybody who is taking the time to listen to each episode of the Small Victories podcast. Here are this episode's takeaways. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable or good you are. What matters is how you view yourself. You can decide how successful you want to feel at any time. There's nothing we can do about the things that happen to us, but there's everything we can do about how we respond to them. Our purpose is for the sake and service of others. What Ty's story illustrates is evidence that our mindset is a key difference maker. And when we use our mindset to apply our will and discipline to our situation, we can be victorious in any circumstance. Thanks for tuning in. And until we meet again, be blessed. Angel of light, come into me. Show me what I need to see You are my pathway into the light Lead me from shadows to
Show me what I need to see.